Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. We start with the student-led walkout at SFU yesterday. Some students not happy with the return to in-person classes at Simon Fraser University, Retur- uh, worried about the spread of COVID on campus. Have a listen to this. This is SFU student leader Chantel Spicer speaking to Global News yesterday. Knowing that there are folks who are in positions of power making decisions like this, Probably a lot of them still at home while we're here on campus is infuriating. Okay, so she was unhappy with the return to in-person alerting. Some students were actually happy to be back on campus. So let's talk about it now with my guest, Ariana Chartrand, chairperson, the Alliance of BC Students. Hi, Ariana. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for coming on today. What do you think about this issue and the return to in-person learning there at some uh, university campuses? Well, I'm fortunate to be in a, an alliance of a coalition of student unions, so I hear quite a few different perspectives. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is that there are students who absolutely want to return, and there are a lot who also feel very unsafe doing so. So all we're really asking here is for a choice. If students want to go back, they should be able to, but if students feel unsafe and would prefer to continue remote learning, they're entitled to do so as well. Okay, so for the students you're hearing from who are concerned or worried about a return to in-person learning, what are their main concerns that they're expressing to you? Many of them are from smaller institutions, which means smaller schools, smaller classrooms, less ventilation. Many live with other people who might be at increased risk, and many themselves feel unsafe and will probably experience lasting, more complicated risks than some other students. Right. I know your organization is advocating on this. And what are you what are you asking for? Can you expand a little bit on that choice idea you have? Absolutely. Uh, so the, the reality is a lot of students want a lot of different things. Yeah. We're essentially advocating for students to be given the option. Right now, a lot of students who feel unsafe are unsure whether that will impact their enrollment, their attendance, uh, their eligibility to be classified as full-time or part-time students. There's a a lot of uncertainty and barriers for those students who wish to remain home. We just want students to go in person, absolutely, but also for the institutions and the the PHO to recognize that for many students, it'll be a much safer and enjoyable experience if they can do that from the comfort of their homes at this time. Speaking to Ariana Chartrand, Chairperson, Alliance of BC Students, we had a We had some students who walked out at SFU yesterday to express their unhappiness with the situation. Uh, They say that they're worried about those crowded lecture halls being jammed into lecture halls. What about the bus? I mean, you got to be, I mean, there are probably a lot of students who get to school on the bus. So those buses are crowded in the morning. Is that another concern that you're hearing about? Absolutely. And I mean, I can say from personal experience, I've been on buses much more crowded than I would prefer, given the, the ongoing pandemic. Um, And we're hearing this from a lot of students as well who are just not happy with these decisions. Some institutions, Langara has 1,300 plus students signing petitions, obviously SFU 4,000. And we, at this point, once we release their letter, 
sort of addressing these concerns and asking for that option. Over 100,000 students are represented in this letter with more sure to come. Yeah. Is there a lot of evidence, though, that there's COVID spread going on in like university lecture halls or even on the bus to, to get to school? Because, you know, if you talk to Bonnie Henry, you'll say, well, you know, there's not a lot of evidence of spread in those settings. There has been some COVID on university campuses that have been traced to things like parties and stuff. But when it comes to the actual, you know, routine, daily school routine, they'll argue that there's not a lot of COVID spread. But what do you think? Well, the reality is once students are on campus, they are going to interact in these non-structured spaces. So lecture halls are absolutely an issue, but we also have to think about study spaces and just these casual environments where that could increase the chances of something like that spreading. And that just comes with being back on campus. All right. right. Okay. Like you mentioned, though, that there is not there's not unanimity on this. I mean, a lot of students and I've heard from them and I've heard from some of their parents who say they're actually glad to be back to on-campus and in-person learning. Let me play this here for you, uh, Ariane, and then I'll get your thoughts. So these are some students speaking yesterday to Czech TV, Czech News in Victoria at the University of Victoria, where they're back in class yesterday, and you'll hear them say that they're actually happy to be back. Have a listen. I like it. The campus went from like being really dead to being like quite full, which I like to see it came back to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really happy to be back. I find it a lot easier to learn in class yeah. Because there's more of a socialization aspect to it rather than just sitting at home on your computer. Yeah, so some of them say that they actually feel they, they're more effective at learning when they're in a classroom. What do you think of that? Well, and that just reinforces our main ask here. It's to have that option. There are absolutely students who want to remain in person and should be able to do so, but also recognizing that those who aren't ready to do that should be able to do uh, learning from the comfort wherever they are, be at home, be it somewhere else remote. So we we do hear all of the different perspectives, and we're just asking to give an option. Yeah, would that create a pretty major logistical challenge for these institutions, though, if they're going to have a mix of some students are in class, some are not? Does that create a challenge or a problem for for a university or a college or a professor to actually pull that off? Or is it being done anywhere else? It might be. I mean, I think the university and the administration would know more. Our priority here is the safety and well-being of students. So I think if students are asking and mobilizing and, you know, their voices are growing so loud, just voicing this distress at being put in unsafe and risky situations, I think the universities will have to follow suit. Okay, we're following it closely, Ariana. Thanks a lot for coming on today to talk about it. Thanks so much for having me. All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about back to in-person learning at colleges and universities in British Columbia. We had some students walk out of class yesterday at Simon Fraser University. They were not happy to be back in person on campus. They want to continue remote learning. Not all students agree with that, though. Some are happy to be back. Phone me on it, 604 604- 280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Tony and Coquitlam. Hi, Tony. What do you think? Hi, Mike. Um, well, my wife teaches college chemistry. I can't really speak to the exact institutions. I don't think I'm allowed to, but one's a major institution for a lot of students here in the lower mainland, and one's a smaller private institution. Um, she teaches first and second year courses, and uh, I can speak to like what it's been like watching her as a teacher, like as a professor, trying to deal with the online and the in-person learning and the back and forth. Yeah. What's it, what's it well, been like for her? Oh, stressful, <laughs> to yeah. say the least. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot of work, and I, and I totally understand where the students are coming from. 
um, I'm a mental mental health professional myself, and I get like this is a stressful thing for students too. But if the if that was going to be the case, where students had an option of online and in person for at least the sciences, where there's labs involved and stuff, man, that's going to create an awful lot of work for the professors, um, for the teachers, and yeah. it, it, like it's it's not. It's not great for the students. I get it, but like logistically, you were asking like, what would that do? Well, yeah, the institutions would have to really step up to support the the teachers to create something like that. And I'm not saying that shouldn't be done for the students. I'm just saying like, yep, that's gonna that's gonna be a lot of right. work. <laughs> Tony, thank you for sharing that. And that's the first thing that crossed my mind too when I saw this proposal. Like, give kids a choice to do either one they want. Man, you talk about. A logistical nightmare, especially as you pointed out, like trying to run science labs or something like that. Thanks for the call. Doug and Langley. Hi, Doug. What do you think? Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Um, like sure. you, I've got a kid at uh, UVic, and I'm absolutely thrilled that they're back in class as of yesterday. Yeah. Um, the last half of grade 11 was gone. Grade 12 was an absolute nightmare, and the first year of university has been online. The, the joy of university, that the, half the learning you get is interacting with people face-to-face. These, these yeah. kids spend enough time on their phone anyway. Um, and the, the, the person that you had before, I wonder if you asked her if she'd been to a mall lately interacting yeah. with other people or she'd just stay in her house and never go out. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, try going to a Costco or a Walmart. It'd be pretty crowded there, too. Brian and Coquitlam. Hey, Brian. Hey, Mike. Hi. The way I see it is... Basically, how do you expect someone who is full of anxiety and fear to learn? They're always going to be having this issue of, uh, of uh, anxiety while they're in that environment. That's going to sabotage their ability to learn. I say give them a choice for the classes that they can have a choice for. Okay. I, I know there's a, lot of, there's a lot of kids who are going through anxiety and, and mental health challenges for the opposite reason, for being separated from their That's peers, right? Yeah. That's what choice is. Those that uh, want to go back, they have the choice to go back. Those that can't go back for whatever reason, maybe it's because of family issues and things like that related yeah. to threat, uh, they can stay. Now everyone's happy at that point. Okay, Brian, thanks for that. Let's go to John on the line in Surrey. Hi, John. What do you think? Uh, yeah, as an instructor, uh, I'm in class yesterday for the first time in two years, and it was... Um, Really fantastic to see everyone, and the students were all very happy to be there. Not one indicated that they wanted to be online. The logistical problem that you speak of, when we went online in 2021, my workload doubled. I um, did a lot of extra for my students because I really care about them. Um, but, you know, the amount of work to, uh, to balance that online and then also to, uh, to drive to campus and be on campus as well, yeah. uh, it's just not, it, you can't do both. It's one or the other. I'll support my students in whatever their choice is, but it seems to be the majority want to be in the classroom uh, with me where they can interact with me and uh, tackle these complex problems that we're presenting to them. And we can do the lab component as well. Yeah. John, thank you for calling in. It's great to hear from an instructor and get your perspective on it. Appreciate that. Emily in Maple Ridge. Hi, Emily. What do you think? Hi. Um, yeah, thanks for taking my call. I'm an SFU alumni. Uh, I already lost out on the opportunity to go to my convocation from COVID. Yeah. Um, and I can't imagine what it would be like not to be able to go to classes, not to have that, you know, exciting university experience of just being in class with your peers. Um, I think we need to 
stop encouraging fear among people as a society. And um, we, maybe when we didn't know what COVID was, yes, shut things down, be cautious. But now that we know the risk, especially for the ages of the majority of the population of those students who are at university, the benefits of being in class, the mental health, uh, benefits of being there with their peers, experiencing that just totally outweighs the risk of COVID. And I think as we need to start communicating that versus things like the daily case counts and things like that. Emily, thank you for that. Appreciate your perspective on it for sure. I've heard that a lot from people too, that people getting back into the swing of things. I really feel for kids who have missed their their high school graduations or their high school proms or uh, missing the experience of being on a university campus and, and everything that goes along with that. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about electric scooters getting more and more popular on the streets of Metro Vancouver and becoming street legal in more municipalities too. North Vancouver, uh, the latest to allow electric scooters on the street there. All right, let's kick this hornet's nest again here because we talked about this one yesterday. I got a big response from the listeners. My guest is Bradley Spence, owner of EVs, Personal Electric Vehicles. He's selling electric scooters like hotcakes down there. Hey, Bradley, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me again. Okay, Bradley, first of all, let's clarify a couple of things here. So if you buy one of these electric scooters, stand-up scooters, you do not have to be licensed. You do not have to be insured, correct? That's correct, yeah. There, yeah. Currently, there's no insurance or licenses. There is only a three-year pilot program running for this. So after the pilot program, I assume there'll be more rules and regulations and maybe potentially even... Um, requiring you to get insured and licensed. But right now, it's just a pilot program. They're just testing to see how it goes. Okay. Do you think they should be insured and licensed? I actually do. I think there should be a simple process to do it. Um, Slap a sticker on it, and I actually think it would be better for everybody. Um, Wouldn't Wouldn't that be bad for your business? I don't know. It depends. If it's if people are required to like pass a test and uh, get like a car driver's license, that's not good. But I know a lot of people yeah. would like to have liability insurance for these things, as well as just insurance from theft and damage. Right. So as long as it's not overwhelmingly expensive and it was simple, I, I would actually be for it. But right mm-hmm. now, I think it's best to do it the way they're doing. You have to wear a helmet, right? That's correct, yes. That's okay. Part of and you have to wear a helmet. And how old do you have to be to ride one? Um, most municipalities at 16 or older. 16. Okay, so you have to wear a helmet. You have to, and you have to be 16 years old. What about? And I, we, I hear this a lot. Like I hear from people who say, "Wait a sec, these things are a menace." Like I see people riding them on the sidewalk. I see people speeding. I see people weaving in and out of traffic. What do you think of that? Com- I know you've heard that too. What do you think of that yeah. complaint? I mean, my first response is you also see that with drivers. And uh, drivers have a much more lethal vehicle. Uh, scooters, you, we have to view them like bicycles or, or e-bikes. They're um, really not that large. They usually stick in bike lanes or the, the streets. We really do frown upon people riding on the, on the sidewalks in our store. And I know we still see that sometimes. But when people are riding on the sidewalks, it's usually at crawling speeds. And I've never heard of a pedestrian getting hit by one of these yet in, in the lower mainland. Okay, let's get the phone calls going on this, Bradley, and we'll see what the listeners think about it, okay? 604-28, yeah, 604-280-9898 is the number, star 9898 on your cell. Let's go to Dan on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Dan, what do you think? 
Well, what I think is, uh, Mike, let's hypothetical. You're walking down the street. I'm walking down the street. We get hit by one of these. Who do I go after? What is my recourse for damages? Your guest to say, well, I haven't heard. Well, you haven't heard because when something like that happens, when someone is knocked over, my car, when I was driving, I had a guy cut right in front of me. I swerved to the right and I hit a stop sign. What am I supposed to do? There's no one for me to go after. Uh, What did the guy do? Did he leave? Yeah, took off. Yeah, he took off. Okay. So, so if there's no there's no license plate, there's nothing, there's no recourse, God forbid someone had been in that corner and I hit them, then what would I have done? Okay, Bradley, what do you say to him? Actually, yeah, I do have a response for this because ICBC does cover people. If they cause you to get an accident, um, ICBC covers uh, people without insurance. And because the, the vehicle, the, I don't know if it was a scooter or whatever, caused that accident... Um, ICBC will cover you, and it actually goes the other way as well. We have had people get hit. It's a very rare occurrence, but people get hit on these scooters by a vehicle, and the scooter company has actually paid for the damages or paid for the replacement of the scooter and any injuries made. So ICBC is covering a lot of a lot of things that people don't might not actually know when they're driving around the street. Right, and when someone is riding one of these e-scooters, they have to follow the rules of the road, right? Yes, 100%. You have to follow the exact same rules bicycles follow and uh, follow speed limits. They shouldn't be speeding. So you have bad apples when it comes to cyclists and drivers as well. But overall, um, I think the perception has been pretty good. And, and majority of our customers, the majority of our riders are actually fairly safe. Let's go to Andy on the line in Poco. Hi, Andy. What do you think? Well, I'll tell you what I think, Mike. Electric scooters and e-bikes are just a no-go. Uh, most people, even out here in Poco, no helmets, no insurance, no license plates, no safety vet. They come out of the side lane, even in residential. Very dangerous, reckless. Um, and ICBC isn't going to cover you if you're hit because these people have no insurance. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Well, I mean, you have to wear a helmet in order to ride. And if you don't, Bradley, you could get ticketed by the police, could you not? Yes, you can. Right now, yeah. the police are, are mostly issuing warnings, but you can get ticketed by the police for not wearing a helmet or if you're not following the rules as well. How much um, How much is the fine if you get a ticket? I believe it's $200, but I, I could be corrected. Okay. It's around that. It's around that. Sandra, Sandra on the line in North Van. Hi, Sandra. Hi. Hi. Good Hi. morning. Hi. Um, I think that any, any, any transportation in a city should be licensed. And I mean even regular bicycles right in a city. Residential areas, no. I don't think you need to be licensed. Yes, insured if you're riding something that's uh, an electric e-bike or an electric scooter. But in the city, we have so many problems with bicycles and couriers as well. So, yes, they need to be licensed. Anyone entering downtown Vancouver, downtown North Vancouver. Why do you feel that way? Why do you feel they should be licensed? For the same reasons that Bradley is mentioning and the other callers, that whenever there's an accident, there yeah. seems to be little recourse. When I had a son who, who 10 years ago got a broken elbow from a car banging into him as he was riding. The car took off, and he wasn't licensed or anything and had to go and, and leave work for a couple of days. So okay. just so that we have recourse, the same as when you're in a car. Okay, Sandra, thank you for the call. Lots of calls here. Gary on the line in New West. Hi, Gary, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just wondering, uh, there's enough distractions on the road as it is between construction sites, crosswalks, people ignoring. How many many distractions can drivers have 
trying to get their vehicle from one place to another. I think these people are going to end up uh, distracted driver bait, and I feel sorry for them. Well, 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 let me ask Bradley about that because North Van is just the latest municipality of around eight in the region that have allowed e-scooters on the street, making them street legal. I mean, has have there been a lot of problems, to your knowledge? No, I mean, our customers talk, and uh, once in a while you'll hear about someone getting an accident if they hit a slick of ice or something, just like a, that can happen to a car. But no, overall, um, I haven't heard of any really negative problems or anyone getting hit, um, like pedestrian-wise. So this is something that's not really a concern. I understand that a lot of drivers um, are hesitant with change and the public needs to accept it. Back in the day when bicycles in the 90s were fighting to get bike lanes, uh, people are complaining about that as well. And it's just something that cars are going to have to be more aware of and be more alert of. But okay. one thing is scooters are also taking more cars off the road. So there's, yeah. there's less cars on the road because of us. Pam in Kelowna. Hi, Pam. Go ahead. Hello. Hi. Um, I do not want to disparage uh, the scooters at all. I, I don't want to make them out to be the best thing since sliced bread or the worst thing since whatever else. But <laughs> I have one word to say. Kelowna. I live in Kelowna, and our city has has had experience with electric scooters. It may or may not match exactly to the lower mainland relative to the urban spaces and, and stuff. But I will say that there is, I think that it would be very, very wise for whoever's making the decisions about how to initiate a program to start small. Start small, because if you start big, then the problems that may erupt are huge, and they are very what were hideous. What were the problems in Kelowna? I recall last summer, one of the orthopedic surgeons um, commenting that he was surprised at the number of injuries that were coming into the hospital. Oh. Because individuals, the, 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 the fellow who's, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't catch the whole uh, program, but the fellow who's promoting the students or, 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 or speaking about them is not wrong in that please wear a helmet, keep to the speed, stay in the proper areas. But humans being humans, oh gosh, every manner of violation that could happen happened, much okay. like happens with cars. So I think starting small is the answer and then mitigating the problems as they may appear to help people safely use scooters because I think they're an amazing transportation tool. They can okay. be amazing, but they can be disastrous. Okay, thanks Thanks a lot for the call. Okay, Mike, uh, can I speak to something on the Kelowna yeah. thing as well? Yes. Um, so Kelowna's pilot program actually introduced um, public rental scooters where anybody could go and pick up a scooter on the side of the street and, and take it for a spin. So in that, that instance, you actually have potentially drunk people driving these scooters, and then it could become more dangerous, whereas Vancouver and the rest of the municipalities in the lower mainland have only legalized privately owned scooters. Rental right. scooters are not allowed. Hey, welcome back. We continue talking e-scooters with my guest Bradley Spence, EVs, personal electric vehicles in Vancouver. Back to your phone calls, Mike and Vernon. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. Um, so in Vernon, we had the rental scooters. And uh, for the most part, I didn't have any issues with them. Yeah, there was a few of them left around, you know, parking lot, or I mean, uh, sidewalks and things like that. But uh, nothing, nothing too bad. No different than someone taking a shopping cart and parking it somewhere. But on the other side, on the insurance side, yeah. um, I agree 100% that we need to have insurance and plates and, and minimum liability insurance. Um, if I take my dirt bike or my snowmobile out into the bush, um, where I'm hardly near anybody, I still have to have it insured and licensed and registered. 
Mm. So if I have to do that to go out into the, the into the back country, why wouldn't I have to have that on a scooter to ride on the street? Okay, that's a good point, Mike. Thank you for the call. Bradley, what do you think of that? Yeah, and I actually think it's likely coming. People have to remember that this was just a pilot program. The government can't work fast enough to, to keep up with the, how quickly the scooter demand is growing. And I know they are working behind the scenes to um, get things like this into place. But they started with this pilot program. They're starting small, but it's growing faster than I think they even really imagined. Yeah. And it's growing faster than I even imagined at starting this business. So Let's go to Gary in Vancouver. Hi, Gary. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, Mike. Um, I drive truck around the lower mainland. I see these EV scooters and all the rest of them everywhere. I was working on Saturday. I'm coming out of Vancouver across the Arthur Lang Bridge. And there's one of these kids on, uh, I guess it's a unicycle one with a single wheel. Yeah. He got onto the Arthur Lang Bridge on the sidewalk. I was over in the, in the Hammerlane, uh, I didn't want to get to get in the right lane beside him, so I stayed in the hammerly, and I thought this guy's flying, so for the hell of it, I got up alongside him, and I clocked him to see how fast he was going. Yeah, seventy clicks an Whoa. hour. Whoa! Across <laughs> the Arthur Lang Bridge on oh the God. sidewalk, wearing a white toque, not even a on a unicycle. Wow. Okay, thank you for that, Bradley. Can those things go that fast? I mean, that is the very brink of the, the top speed of those things. It would be surprising to me if someone's actually riding that fast. But um, yeah. if they were, especially not wearing a helmet, it's like shame on them. It looks bad for the community, and I, we don't condone that at all. But Let's you get to, bad, like I said, you get bad apples everywhere. Let's go to Tim on the line in Langley. Hi, Tim. Go ahead. I just to respond to the guy a few calls back that said, you know, who does he go after if he gets hit? I got hit on a three-month-old mountain bike a few months ago. ICBC gave 100% fault to the driver. And I got nothing. Like, with that no-fault insurance now, you don't get any kind of settlement anymore. They paid for my for my physio. They paid for my treatments. But as far as bike repairs, I ate it. They don't cover that at all. There's no more pain and suffering and all that. All that's gone. Yeah. Okay, so Tim. no going after anybody. Tim, thank you for that. Let's uh, squeeze in some more calls in the minutes we got left. John and Tawasin, hi. Go ahead. Hi. I think a lot of people are just whining. You know, for every scooter or e-bike that's on the road, that's one less, potentially one less car on the yeah. road. And, you know, as long as people that ride them are responsible, you know, like, come on, folks, you can't get in the way of progress. You're really going to have a lot to complain is someday when we have autonomous drones sitting in our garages, <laughs> then what are you going to have to say? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, John, thank you for that. Well. You know, I think that's what some of these municipalities are, are recognizing that people are riding these things anyway. It's kind of like you can't beat them. You might as well join them. James and Delta. Hi, James. What do you think? How you doing, Mike? Uh, your guest had mentioned that uh, ICBC on occasion has paid out uh, people that have been lost their scooters. And I'm wondering who pays the premium for that if they're not. Is it the drivers that are paying the premium through ICBC? You, you mean like if a... Okay, like if a driver gets in an accident with someone on a scooter, you mean? Is that what Correct. you mean? Correct. Okay. Yeah, and the whole idea is insurance is for insuring both parties. So, uh, so how does that work, Bradley? How does that work, you know? I, all I know is we've had a couple customers ask for quotes and pictures for ICBC, and ICBC has paid out the customer. It's Typically, from my knowledge, it's when the car has been in the wrong and 100% at fault and hit the 
um, scooter driver or the electric unicycle rider. And it typically happens when drivers are taking the right turns. It's hard to see. We try to educate our, our riders to always assume a car is going to take a right turn and not see you right. just to be extra safe. What if the scooter rider is at fault? That, that I don't know. And that it's, yeah. it hasn't really, to my knowledge, hasn't happened yet. But um, hmm. that, okay. that I'm not sure, to be honest. Got a minute left. Chris and Steve Stan. We got a minute here. Chris, you got 30 seconds. Go ahead. Well, I live in Steveston. Thank you for taking my call, by the way. I'm a sure. first-time caller, and cool. uh, I live right on the water in Steveston, and I overlook the boardwalk and Imperial Landing right from Britannia Shipyards right into the village of Steveston. And in the summertime, it is absolutely terrible out here, absolutely terrible. There's e-scooters, there's one-wheelers, no one's wearing masks, no one's wearing um, helmets, uh, a senior's going to get kicked down. The the e-scooters are terrible. They they speed. They overspeed. They weave in and out on the asphalt okay. walkway. It's terrible. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Bradley, I know you want to respond to that, but we're out of time. So I'll just ask you real simply, where is your skate shop? Yeah, we're located at 230 East Pender Street in Chinatown. Okay, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Mike. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the tensions between Russia and Ukraine now. Russians have amassed thousands of soldiers on the Ukraine border. Fears of a Russian invasion. The United States has put 8,500 troops on alert for possible deployment to the region. What about Canada's role here? The Justin Trudeau government says Canada stands with the Ukraine. Have a listen to Trudeau. We are there as friends and allies. Um, we have a military mission there, Operation Unifier, uh, and Minister Anand has been uh, talking about that. Uh, we are there uh, to support and train uh, the Ukrainian troops. Uh, and we're working with our international partners and colleagues to make it very, very clear that Russian aggression and further incursion into Ukraine absolutely unacceptable okay let's talk about the situation now and canada's role in it what an awesome panel we have assembled for you to discuss this important issue sven robinson the former ndp mp and i'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show sven thank you for coming on today great to be with you mike appreciate a lot also on the line stockwell day canada's former opposition leader he's the former leader of the canadian alliance Canada's former Minister of International Trade. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Stockwell Day, thank you for coming on. Hi, Mike. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, Sven. Great to talk to you, Stock. Okay, bo I appreciate both of you gentlemen being here. Uh, Sven Robinson, let me go to you first. You, you said on Twitter the other day this got a lot of attention after the federal NDP were stating that they stood in solidarity with Ukraine as they faced this Russian aggression. You wrote on Twitter, I am certainly no fan of Vladimir Putin, but the NDP should be speaking out for peace and justice, not fanning the flames of a NATO-led war. Canada should be out of NATO. Disband NATO. Don't expand it. Uh, Sven Robinson, why do you say that? Well, first of all, Mike, uh, let's be very clear. I mean, all of us stand with the people of the Ukraine, and understandably, Canadians are deeply concerned when they see what's happening. And uh, there are many Ukrainian Canadians who are concerned about their families or loved ones there. That's not the issue. There's two key points I'd just like to briefly make here, because I think we have to understand what's led us to this crisis, Mike. The first is, is the role of NATO itself. And what is NATO doing uh, in the heart of Eastern Europe and in 
uh, Ukraine itself. Um, the reality is that uh, this is breaking a promise that was made um, to the Russian uh, to Russia back in 1991 when NATO was expanded. Um, NATO has no business being in that area, conducting military exercises. Uh, promises were made. Bush made a promise. Uh, um, a number of other uh, leaders made promises uh, that there would be no expansion beyond Berlin. Now we've got tomahawk weapons that are pointing right at the heart of Russia. Military exercises are happening. If Canada or the United States had, had enemies uh, or uh, opponents on the, uh, right on our borders, you can imagine what the response would be. We remember Cuba in 1961. That's, that's the first key point, is we have to ask ourselves about what's NATO's role here. But the second very important point as well is just who is this military that we're supporting? And the reality is that, sadly, uh, many of them are neo-Nazis. There's an Azov battalion, which Canada uh, has been unfortunately collaborating with. These neo-Nazis, uh, uh, in many cases, glorified Nazi collaborators from World War II. Um, we've got to ask ourselves, do we really want to be associating with these people? Canada should be calling for a solution that avoids war. Absolutely no question that the aggression is unacceptable. But the reality is, it seems to me, Mike, that what we should be saying is, let's, let's see that Ukraine is, has neutrality, just as Austria has had neutrality, no troops from either, you know, from, from outside. Uh, and sure. very importantly as well, that we respect the, the, the autonomy of the people of the Donbass. And the Russians have got to understand that they cannot in any way uh, be interfering in that autonomy there. Okay. Okay. Stockwell Day, your thoughts. Well, I appreciate some of the things uh, Sven is saying, and as usual, Sven and I agree on some stuff and we disagree on others, uh, so no exception today. You know, my heart goes out to Ukraine, and uh, I had the, the honor of uh, being invited there in 93 when things were really opening up and the Soviet uh, influence was backing out. I can remember uh, speaking at the university there, speaking at city council, and, the, you know, the mood was so positive. It was just, uh, you know, the, the, the breakout was really happening from being under the, the heavy boot of the, the Soviets. Um, I was back there a couple of different times uh, as a federal minister. I can remember meeting with uh, Yulia Tymoshenko and all the excitement of the Orange Revolution and the things that were happening. So, uh, you know, my, my heart is there in, in some very strong ways. And um, the purpose of NATO, as we know, going back to 1949, providing that necessary counterweight to the expansion and the, the, the power of the Soviet Union is still very much needed today. NATO has its faults. No question about that. There are concerns. But to have this size of uh, a number of countries and to be able to continue to be that counterweight, which is why the Russians don't like it. I've met with, uh, with President Putin, a very, very hard, very difficult person, very focused. And uh, I think I know what his designs are right now as far as Ukraine. But uh, the, the benefit of NATO providing um, a collaboration of countries, providing easy access to military collaboration, should we need it. We saw it happen with Afghanistan. But, you know, Milosevic never would have been stopped uh, if, if NATO hadn't been there. The Bosnia problem would still be rocking and rolling to everybody's uh, great demise if, if NATO hadn't been there. And uh, the fact that NATO still provides, they call them contra uh, contact countries, where there are operations and uh, abilities for all kinds of diplomacy. So NATO, imperfect as it is, is a very necessary deterrent, I would say, Good. 
even more so, Mike, than it was maybe even in 1949. Okay, Sven Robinson, what do you say to that? Yeah, well, I want to I want to respond on a couple things because I mean, obviously, the, the star says there's some elements that we do agree on. But first of all, I, I want to come back to the the point about just who are we collaborating. You know, as as um, Canadian government, uh, as NATO, who are we collaborating with in NATO? Uh, these um, neo Nazis there, stuck. You were there uh, at Babi Yar, and I was also. Uh, I had the privilege, the great honor of being at Babi Yar, which is a ravine, Mike, in uh, uh, outside Kiev, where thirty seven thousand Jews uh, were murdered in one night. One and a half million Jews were killed in 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 Ukraine, and we've got these neo Nazi collaborators. Uh, the, these neo-Nazis that are that are celebrating this, and Canada should not be in any way working with them. In terms of, of NATO itself, okay, a couple of things just to respond to what uh, what Stock has said. The reality is that it's it's been NATO that's been expanding since the end of the Cold War, certainly not the Russian Federation. Uh, Fourteen new countries have joined NATO since the end of the, uh, of, of the, uh, the Cold War. Um, NATO still has a policy, Mike, of of refusing to 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 uh, uh, eliminate the possibility of the first use of nuclear weapons, and the bottom line is this. And I said this back in the eighties, actually, as the NDP foreign affairs critic, and I believe it deeply today. Um, who is the enemy? Who is the enemy of Canada and the United States? And more importantly, why are we feeding this military machine with millions and millions of dollars when the Cold War is over and we should be spending that money to fight the real enemies of climate change and inequality and and environmental destruction? Okay, Stockwell, Dave, if you could respond quickly to that and then we'll fit a break in here, but go ahead. Sure, well, the nuclear deterrent is a valid question. In my view, had it not been for NATO, you would have seen many other countries feeling the pressure to come up with their own nuclear capability because of what then USSR and then uh, Russia was doing. Now that it is, I mean, none of us like the thought of nuclear weaponry, obviously, but the fact that a few NATO members have nuclear capability as a deterrent has actually, in my view, resulted in less, a smaller number of countries feeling the need to pursue nuclear capability. So it's been a great benefit that way. All right, welcome back to the show, talking about the dispute between the Ukraine and Russia. Should Canada stay out of it? My guests are Sven Robinson and Stockwell Day. Stockwell Day, real quick, should Canada stay out of this, like Sven Robinson is saying? I think Canada is going to stay out of it. You know, we've got uh, certainly in Canada a very significant Ukrainian uh, ethnic population, about 1.3 million, mainly in Western Canada. We've just sent, uh, what, 40 or 50 uh, of our elite troops over there, 40 or 50 as against uh, 100,000 Russian troops. I think that's to prepare for evacuation of Canadians if we have to. Um, So, you know, Canada is not going to be in there fighting, but we're going to be there showing support. All of these different countries showing support, that's good. But, um, you know, to Sven's point, he might see in the years ahead NATO unravel anyway, because France, Macron has already said, He's going to deal and talk directly to Russia. There is no way Germany is going to be sending weaponry into Ukraine to That's help right. in that fight. They, they need natural gas. Uh, you know, yeah. their own pursuit, unfortunately, uh, over-pursuit of, of wind and solar has left, left them very much exposed in the need for natural gas. So I think they're going to bail anyway. Canada is not going to be fighting. That won't last. We know from, from times we're involved anywhere, and this works with 
media internationally, a country gets involved, the media will always egg you on to get in. Once you get in, there's some collateral damage. You start to lose soldiers, and then the media pounds you until you get out. So I don't think it's going to happen, but we need to let those good folks know that we're going to be supportive of some way. I think what's going to happen, actually, I think you're going to see everybody's, you know, terrified of what's going to happen. Um, uh, Stan already mentioned one area of uh, Donetsk. There's another uh, area called Luhansk. I think what's going to happen, I think Putin really wants those areas. They're very pro-Russian. They're in the east part of Ukraine. I think he's going to move in there and kind of settle and really claim those areas and say there, okay, I'm, I'm happy for now. And uh, I think uh, Biden has already hinted and sent the signal, you know, if there's a minor incursion, he said, uh, you know, we're not going to be too upset. So I think Biden oh, well. already set the signal. So right. I see Putin massive piling up of troops and then everybody relieved when all he wants really is these two sub areas in eastern ukraine that's my guess sven go ahead mike if i could yeah if i could just jump in here because again i think there are certainly some areas where where we do agree um the reality is that uh, there has been a solution on the table and and stock referred to uh, the donbass area i mentioned that earlier in 2015 a lot of people forget this in 2015 france germany and stock mentioned both of them russia and the ukraine endorsed something called the minsk II agreement it was unanimously supported by the security council of the united nations i'm not saying like you said i think you know canada shouldn't be involved canada absolutely should be involved in pushing for a peaceful solution that certainly uh spells out the uh, the uh, the key element of um of demilitarization those uh, that eastern uh, area uh, the restoration of, uh, of, of Ukrainian sovereignty there. I don't want to see the Russians uh, 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 basically moving into uh, the Donbass as they as they did in Crimea, although, as you know, Crimea, there's a, an interesting history there. In fact, the head of the German Navy just resigned because his, and this is a quote from the head of the German Navy, Mike, is Russia really interested in having a tiny strip of Ukraine's soil? No. Or integrated in the country? No, this is nonsense. That's the head of the German Navy. So, yes, I think Canada should be playing a positive role in calling for a peaceful solution here, peaceful solution here, calling for NATO to back off as, as they promised they would do way back in 1991, not an inch past Berlin. That's the kind of positive role that Canada okay. should be playing. Okay, let's squeeze in one phone call here while we can. James in White Rock. James, go ahead briefly, please. I'd just like to make a, a couple of points. Like, make, Just right make one, okay? Over, just make one. Okay, okay well, we're overlooking the, the big picture of this planet right now. So if Russia incurs into, into Ukraine, the, the U.S. and NATO are occupied, China's going to make a play for Taiwan, and North Korea has already started flexing their muscles again by launching cruise missiles. We don't have NATO. It's going to be chaos. Somebody has to be there to stop them. Canada has to play its part. We owe the world. We owe everybody else. We can have a okay. wonderful, green, happy, happy, joy, joy place to live. But if, if, if somebody is stronger to take it, the Russians have already made incursions into Canadian sovereign land in the Arctic for oil rights. Okay, what are thank, we going to do? Thank you for that. We just have two minutes left, guys. So I'm, I'll give you one minute each to sum up. Sven, Sven Robinson, go ahead. Yeah, and the other part of the tweet that actually uh, you didn't <laughs> read was I also said, Mike, we've got to we've got to strengthen the United Nations here, and and certainly there's there's no question there's there's weaknesses there with the veto and so on, but I believe that the what the, that the role that Canada should be playing is calling for a much stronger United Nations. Uh, your caller has identified some of the areas of, of potential concern. I think the caller is absolutely right. We've got to stand in solidarity with the Ukrainian people, no question about that, but NATO 
in, in, in on this on the at, uh, NATO on the borders of the of the Russian Federation in breach of the commitments that have been made. Canada's got to say no. That's not the answer. Neutrality like us, like Austria, respecting the the rights of the uh, of the minority there in in the Donbass region, that okay. avoids uh, the war. Okay, Stockwell Day, your thoughts? You got a minute here. I'm with James in terms of the concern on China, and that's why you are not going to see, in my view, a wholesale involvement with the U.S. in a massive way. Uh, they're already perceived as being weak, which is why Putin is pushing them. And China is watching. There's some discussion, maybe even China and Russia talking together. So I am uh, very much concerned about that. And I, yes, of course, Canada should be there and see what we can do at a negotiating table. we got to give our heads a shake. Canada is a very small player on this, as much as our hearts are in the right place. We need to, I, I think, and I'm not saying positive, I just think, we're going to be joining collectively a global sigh of relief that all Putin really wants to do. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, is to have these two other areas okay. and uh, load up load up stuff in Well, Belarus. I don't think we should okay. be giving in those areas, Chuck. 